0: Welcome to a special bonus episode of Coal at Sunset, a Colorado town in transition. Presented by the Institute for Science and Policy at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. I'm your host, Kristen Muhlenbrock. At the close of our story about Craig, Colorado, we mentioned that the electrical co-op Tri-State had pledged to reduce its carbon emissions significantly by the year 2030. They're not alone in that goal. Excel Energy, which serves millions of homes and businesses across Colorado, including the heavily populated Front Range, is working toward net zero energy production too. The investor-owned utility, which also operates in the upper Midwest and parts of the Southwest, is phasing out of coal. In Colorado, it plans to either close or repurpose its coal facilities in Pueblo, Fort Morgan, and Hayden, which is just down the road from Craig. Utilities play a key role in the pace and implementation of the energy transition. So we wanted to share a few extended excerpts from our interview with Alice Jackson, president of Excel Energy Colorado. Alice thinks a lot about the complexities of our electrical grid and the need to balance reliability with the integration of more renewables. As a disclosure, she currently serves on the Denver Museum of Nature and Sciences Board of Trustees. In this wide ranging conversation, recorded in the late summer of 2021, we talked with Alice about our changing electricity needs, implementing newer technologies like hydrogen and molten salt, getting to a completely zero carbon system, and much more. We hope you enjoy these bonus clips, starting with a discussion about the development of renewable energy in Colorado.
1: The journey here in Colorado really started substantially in 2001, and that was when the first renewable energy standard kind of portfolio was discussed and put in place. Back then it was like 5%. In 2004 was when the ballot measure was accepted by the state of Colorado and the residents of Colorado saying this is something we really wanna invest our time and effort in and our dollars, quite frankly, because back then it was a lot more expensive than it is today. We've had to have a couple of stars align, namely volatility of resources and knowing when they're going to generate had to improve. We desperately needed technology to improve on wind speed forecasting for a very specific example. And we've been able to work with laboratories and agencies like NREL here in Colorado as well in order to get to that point so that you could add more and more of these types of resources on the system. Because at the end of the day, our customers want 100% reliability, right? You want your lights on all the time which means you have to find a pathway in order to be able to have certainty from the resources that are available to make those electrons that you're going to be able to hit those assurances. And so that means you have to have the forecasting tools available. Whether it's wind or it's sun, we still don't have that magic phone that you can pick up and say, hey, I need the wind to blow a little bit harder or I need the clouds to move out of the way. So really, really good technology around forecasting is an important piece of the puzzle.
0: In recent years, Excel has made public commitments to reducing its carbon output.
1: Back in 2018 in December, we made a very big announcement at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science um, that not only here in Colorado, but across all of the Excel Energy states, we were going to work towards a zero carbon system by 2050. And we put a stake in the ground um, that at, by 2030, there'd be an 80% carbon reduction. When you... Make an announcement like that that's not based off of, you know, just a whim. Uh, You've done a lot of analysis and research and looking at what technologies are available today in order to hit the key benchmarks that we were talking about before of reliability, safety, and affordability. So we'd spent quite some time digging into what does this look like? How can you transition the system? I think there's a couple of things that are naturally coming together. Um, First off, many, not all, many of the coal facilities that have been built in our service territory were built between, you know, say the mid 60s um, to the late 70s, maybe even early 80s. So they are coming towards what's known as a natural end of life. So those resources, when you look at the output, the carbon output, that was a strong focus because they have the highest carbon output. Coming towards the end of life, the means they're largely depreciated, which helps with the affordability aspects of bringing them offline a little bit earlier. But then you also have to look at what technology do you have to replace them and what's the price associated with that technology. We got comfortable with not only the physics of the system, the reliability, but also the affordability associated with it because of those things coming together in the timeframe in which we were announcing that it was going to be done. And, she says, there's a lot to consider. You don't change an energy system overnight. There's too much dependence on it. If you think about it, we underpin economic development. We underpin our civil and social (laughs) ways of life in the country. Interruptions, I couldn't imagine it during COVID, what it would have looked like if we'd had rolling outages regularly in the U.S., in addition to having a pandemic and staying home. So we have a significant responsibility to the communities that we serve to make sure that we are there and we can maintain these resources, which maybe at some times some people, it grates at them because we go slower than what they would want us to. But there are reasons for that. There are reasons that we are regulated and we have somebody else that checks the things that we are doing and looks at and goes, okay, are you doing a good job? And so this transition is something that has to be deliberate It has to be methodical and we have to look at how is it going to come together? So when you start looking at the different pieces of the puzzle, you're not only looking at what's it look like to ramp something down, but if you're constructing something to replace it, you have to look at the timeframes that it takes to construct it. Wind and solar resources typically are not located the same places we currently have coal or places that we have even natural gas that's retiring, which means you have another piece of infrastructure you have to talk about, which is transmission. How are you going to bring those resources back to the communities that they're using them in? And that means that you have another layer and another time frame you have to put in place. To build a coal unit or a natural gas unit, four to five years. To build a wind farm or a solar farm, 18 to 24 months. To build a transmission line, years. And usually the transmission lines were cited after the generation was. So now we have a real chicken and egg issue that you have to work through as well on how do you build out the transmission in order then be able to facilitate and incentivize the generation where you need it because you need geographic diversity. You don't want all your wind or all your solar in one place. You want them dispersed around so that when a storm comes in, you can manage it around those resources. So lots of different factors that you have to take into account on how you're building out your system and how do you put it together. We asked her about some of the
0: emerging energy technologies, like hydrogen.
1: When it comes to hydrogen production, hydrogen is a natural byproduct of refining, um, and so you see a lot of it there. But in order to make it truly zero carbon, you need to be producing hydrogen through a process called electrolysis that's fed by renewable resources. So it's the process of removing the hydrogen atom from water and then condensing it, cleaning it pressurizing it in order to then use it as a fuel. And you can burn hydrogen just like you do methane, which is natural gas, in a a combustion turbine, a combined cycle unit. You can even put it in to some degree in pipelines that are taking the gas to customers' homes and blending it into the natural gas that they use in their stoves without them having to convert their appliances. So there's a number of different uses for it, except for right now, the affordability piece of the puzzle that we talked about before, it's not there quite yet. The exciting thing about hydrogen right now and the hydrogen economy is there's significant investment that's ongoing. The European Union is investing billions of euros. The US is starting to invest significantly more. You've heard lots of announcements from utilities and other entities across the country to figure out how can we do this better. NREL has a wonderful experiment that's going on of figuring out how to not only produce hydrogen, but then also take it to a synthetic methane. Because in a synthetic methane, then we wouldn't have to alter our pipelines for the LDC, and you could even get to zero carbon faster there if you could figure out how to do it affordably.
0: We also asked her about molten salt, a new technology that Excel plans to test in Hayden, Colorado, the site of its soon-to-be-retired coal plant.
1: The things that have um, me specifically excited about Hayden are some of the opportunities that we're looking at to put into that facility and how they're going to be part of the long-term energy future. Things like we are looking at putting a molten salt battery at that location. It would be the largest molten salt battery in the U.S. Um, It would be a significant investment. It would be charged um, and depleted as needed uh, in order to support the system. Molten salt battery storage is something you've seen around its been overseas more often than here. We have a couple in the US uh, where solar concentrating facilities where they get really hot and they kind of beam um, into a central area. You can melt the salt and it holds the heat. And then when you want the heat back out, it spins the turbine and makes electricity. So the battery storage here is really appealing because the lithium ion batteries that we have today have roughly a four hour duration associated with them. Molten salt can get you 10 to 12. And that's a much more valuable resource when you have that longer duration and you're capable of covering a longer period of time. So say a gap between wind and solar because you have a storm, the wind's blowing just fine, but the solar isn't there during the day. It just, it gives you more opportunities to balance the overall system. And those are the types of resources we need. My husband's a science teacher and he continuously talks to not only our kids at home, but his students about, um, you know, how do you run an experiment, you know, what are the steps, how do you form your hypothesis, how do you gather information, how do you test that information, how do you then have to go back and reform another hypothesis because you got it wrong and you iterate. I mean, how many times did Edison make a light bulb before he got it right? Those are the kinds of things that I think of in transition is how do we go about doing this in a reasonable manner. We can't go too fast because the risks of going too fast are instability. And so the reliability suffers. And if reliability suffers, I think the hue and cry that would come up from the general society would then make us not only slow down, but potentially even stop. And that's something that none of us want to have happen. So, how do you make the steps appropriately is kind of where my mind goes. And I think. There's a lot of factors we talked about, some of them earlier, about what's the timing of the existing assets? What's the timing of building the new assets? How do you get them delivered? How do you have enough on the system that once you have the new ones on, the old ones aren't so gone that you have no choices if something goes sideways? Um, Those are all things that we have to keep in mind. I think we have to go, one, at the speed of community, two, at the speed of technology, and we have to give ourselves enough leeway to then make a few mistakes, and correct without it going terribly bad. The last thing I'll mention is is we are incredibly blessed in Colorado to be able to lead the way that we are. Not every state across the country has the opportunity like we do. We have many, many days of sunshine. 300 days is what has been quoted here in Colorado. We have some of the best wind energy in the country. Those two things combined put us at the top of the list for being able to make this transition. But when you get farther and farther from areas that have good sun or good wind or both, it gets harder and harder because they need different technologies to close the gaps. So that's something that we all have to be looking at too, is it's not just about Colorado, it's about the rest of the country, it's about the rest of the world on figuring out how to solve the climate change problem because we'll do our part, but we also need to help others to do theirs as well.